In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. When we are invited to someone's house for dinner, we bring hostess gifts, uh, something appropriate, perhaps like the uh, bouquet of flowers you see in the front of your bulletin there. Something appropriate, certainly, but not grand. As a guest, you don't want to show up to host. This is not what happens in today's readings. Two delightful stories in which the guests bring to the table something that far exceeds what the guest receives from the host. But the hopes uh, the hosts do certainly uh, practice some pretty incredible hospitality. Abraham scurries and activates his entire household to offer his three guests bread made of fine flour and a calf tender and good, along with curds and milk. Martha goes nuts in the kitchen and runs dish after dish out to Jesus. Well, that's not exactly what the text says, but just consider this color commentary. We can imagine. In both stories, the guest reclines and eats while the host anxiously hovers, wondering, is the food to their liking? Are they happy with it? And in both cases, the host practiced, as I just mentioned, what we, what we might call it. It's a term that's come in vogue, radical hospitality. Abraham sits in the heat of the day, ready to greet any wayfarer from any direction and ready to see God's image in them. And in Abraham's presence, everyone felt welcomed. Everyone felt embraced. It didn't matter who they were. Martha practices the same open spiritual posture. She welcomes Jesus into her home, although they were undoubtedly friends by this point. So we've got Abraham and Martha with this strong welcome. Come in. Enjoy my hospitality. But then the guests turn around and floor the hosts with the kind of news for which you prepare the recipient by saying, are you sitting down? <laughs> Abraham's guests gave Abraham and Sarah a birth announcement before the baby is even conceived. And Abraham has already heard this announcement from God, if you look in a previous chapter. So they, not, they are now delivering the news to Sarah because apparently, and not surprisingly, Abraham has not told Sarah. This is the first she's heard of it. For Sarah, a barren old woman, this news is as inconceivable as she is. And to Martha, Jesus says something she has most certainly never heard before. You can sit down, relax, we can order a pizza. And then he says, receive from me the portion which your sister has chosen, which far surpasses anything you can give me. And what is this portion Jesus offers? It's himself, the living bread, the portion which cannot be taken away from you, which lasts forever, sustains forever, offering eternal delight. Alexander Schmemann said, wrote, man is a hungry being, but he is hungry for God. Behind the hunger of all our, of all our life is God. Uh, all desire is finally a desire for him. My sister and her husband uh, from Australia have been with us for the last two and a half weeks. We are foodies, and, and my sister and I compete for cooking the most delicious meal. My sister cheats. She uses chicken powder. I don't. Um, and invariably, when we were eating a delicious meal, we begin to talk about the next day's meal. The pleasure of a meal is already dissipating even as we eat it. 
and talk about the next meal, which has to do the one we're eating now. This creates anxiety. <laughs> Think about Jesus. Next to praying, Jesus' primary activity was eating. But, he, but it wasn't food he was after. He was after people. The Son of Man, in Matthew 11, says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that underscores Jesus' table fellowship with sinners, outcasts, the least of these. It's always about people, the conversation, the fellowship. As Martin Buber once noted, all real living is meeting, uh, is meeting, which I will modify slightly, all real eating is meeting. And the Martha story is no exception. Jesus wants Martha to sit down and listen. So far, she has been talking. You know, she sounds like Miss Bossy Pants telling Jesus in the imperative to tell Mary to help. And the context indicates that she is talking to Jesus as if he is a good friend. She can, in effect, yell at him, and I think this is healthy. But Jesus wants Martha to know that attending to him can mean both serving him and sitting at his feet. Luke's point is, you cannot serve effectively unless you have prior instruction that tells you how to serve. Listen first. Both Martha and Mary's hearts are in the right place, but Mary is starting in the right place. And I think it's also healthy as we, as we listen to this story of Martha and Mary and Jesus to break out of the molds in which, into which we have cast these two women. Martha, active and noisy. Mary, silent and com contemplative. And, and Lazarus, who's not even here, a corpse. <laughs> People are complex. And that is why these stories are not so straightforward. Martha owns a home, yes, the text indicates that, but both she and Mary are active. They control their own finances. It's very probably Mary who pours a costly pound of pure nerd, nard <laughs> over Jesus' feet, as recounted in John's Gospel. And Martha is a homeowner, and we know that Jesus, as portrayed in Luke's gospel, tends to criticize the wealthy and the settled. And Martha seems to be quite settled. And yet, John's gospel tells us that Jesus loves Martha and her sister and their brother Lazarus. But Martha and her sister, this is their household, and according to Luke, this is very untraditional. No husband is mentioned. Lazarus does not show up here. There don't appear to be children. Jesus gathers to himself people who don't fit the mold, those who aren't in conventional groupings based on biological connections. But these are groups who come together on the basis of their friendship, their loyalty, their love for Jesus and his heavenly Father. And the characters in our Genesis story, they don't exactly fit the mold either. There are certainly conventional aspects to this story, Middle Eastern hospitality to the max as showed by Abraham. But immediately we're confronted with the strange, the unusual, the supernatural breaking into this conventional world. Who are these three men visiting in the heat of the desert afternoon? Where does the aged Abraham get all of his energy? The guests, the, the guests ask a question that is quite, quite impertinent in, in, in ancient Near Eastern society. Where is your wife, Sarah? And one commentary I read wrote, wrote, said this, the entire incident bespeaks complexity in keeping with the complicated reality 
the visitors announce, this elderly couple will soon be parents. Sarah had it all, wealth, nobility, legendary beauty, divine favor, but she didn't have what she wanted most. The one thing necessary for a woman in an unsettled territory, a womb that can carry a boy. At the age of 90, she has resigned, her, she has resigned herself to this. And when she hears from these men that she is going to have a son, what is the only appropriate response? Incredulous laughter. So Sarah laughed inside the tent saying, after I'm withered, there will have been lushness for me with my Lord who is old. What a joke, she says. That's exactly right. What lies at the core of the substance, the setup, the delivery of a good joke is that delicious moment when the expected is replaced by the unexpected, the anticipated by the unanticipated. A good joke hangs on the teller's ability to establish an assumption on how the world is supposed to be and then unexpectedly substitute a different reality to which we respond, we respond with the most honest, honest expression of our humanity, which is laughter. What is laughter if not the human attempt, in the words of philosopher Ted Cohen, to live with that which we cannot understand or subdue? Often, the joke is on us. Decades ago, I, when I was living in Nyack, New York, I was self-employed. I needed to do my taxes. Didn't want to do them. I saw a sign uh, uh, on a... Um, orange poster board on a telephone pole, um, Bobby Sutton, tax preparer. And then I gave his address. So I went to Bobby Sutton's home and walked into his living room and said, would you do my taxes? He said, sure. So we sat down, he started to uh, do my taxes and he started to add some of the figures and I thought, man, he's not adding those up correctly. And I said, uh, Mr. Sutton, I, I don't think you're doing that correctly. And he said, oh, Mr. Lewis, you are going to laugh at yourself when you see what I'm able to do for you. Well, instead of laughing, I was crying a year later when a proper accountant told me I owed back taxes from the year prior. <laughs> One year later, Sarah is laughing at herself for having laughed at this promise. The joke is on her, but in the most welcome, life-giving way imaginable. As she gives birth to the one she names Isaac, he laughs. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is what God does when we, are, when we, in our bitterness, our barrenness, our deep disappointment, open our hearts to him. When we welcome him in and at our place of greatest anxiety, of grief, of depression, he turns our cynical laughter, our unbelieving laughter, into peals of genuine joy. We all desperately want things. And much of what we want is a reaching out for what we really need and what God wants to give us. The one thing that is necessary, the good portion which he will not take away from us. Because God knows what we need even when we don't. Even as we in our want spend our money for that which is not bread and our labor for that which does not satisfy. Our real need for a love better and stronger than our own. Our real need to have the bleeding inside us stopped. The tears inside us mended. And the wounds inside us healed. And our small, petty desires, weak and crippled desires, restored 
and our appetites made whole and hearty and healthy. We need far more than what we want. God is here today to give it. He not only spreads a table for us and makes a feast for us, but he feeds our desire to share it with others. For God's desire, which is wild and ravenous, is to fill our bellies with bread, our hearts with wine, and our mouths with laughter. Amen.